I like to look at my family's genealogy at times. I enjoy seeing who my ancestors were, where they came from, and what was important to them. And as I look at my ancestors, I get a glimpse of why I look like I do, and that's not always pleasant, okay? Um, Where some of my family traditions come from, I I learn, I I gained uh, knowledge of. Why I have certain medical conditions and medical conditions, and maybe even a little insight into uh, why I react to life the way I do. Those things are pretty cool when you look at your genealogy. In a similar way, when we look at the book of Acts, we see how we came to exist as a church, what constitutes church member, a church member, and the struggles the church had to uh, had to do uh, to grow through to become what it is today. We come face to face in Acts with those who suffered and died so the church could grow and mature. And we clearly uh, come to see what the main mission of the church is and and continues to be. And I want to just remind us of that, and I'd like to uh, have everybody watch this video. Through one man, light came into the world, and that light spread. Jesus chose the twelve disciples to take the light across the known world, and it spread. And more and more people came to know what hope and joy and peace is found in the light of Jesus Christ. And they continued to take the gospel wherever they went, people groups, countries, nations, all turning to Jesus Christ and seeing the light of life. But this was not without opposition. Darkness tried to take back the ground that the light had taken. And many were afraid and turned away, but the light continued to grow. Although much would oppose it, nothing can stop our God. The light continues to move and change and form. The enemy continues to rise and fight and try to put out the light, but the light cannot be taken. The light will continue to shine and find new ground to take and let that light expand across what was even unknown to the people of that time. Thousands, millions become followers of Jesus Christ in the uttermost parts of the earth. The Western world almost totally knows of the name Jesus. They have seen his light, but fewer and fewer are walking in the power and direction of the light. The light grows dim, and America needs someone, some group, to experience the light for themselves all over again, and then rise and bring the light back so that people can experience it, maybe even in a new way, to see this name of Jesus and this experience of the reality of God. And this impact could not only affect our small area, but all the way back to the ends of the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That video, as we have seen before a couple of times, illustrates the mission of the church that Jesus himself made abundantly clear in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the, utter and to the ends of the earth. The primary mission of the church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And since spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ is the mission of the church, and since we are members of Jesus' church, then the primary mission of our lives is also to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bring new believers in and we disciple them for what purpose? To go out into the world and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we have moved through Acts, we haven't been in there for quite some time and we're coming back to it. As we move through Acts, we've uh, seen Jesus finish preparing his disciples to carry out the mission of the church. We've seen the birth of the church in Acts 2 at Pentecost and the spreading of the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. We saw the gospel being delivered to the Gentiles and the excitement they had when they realized they too could be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen the Apostle Peter moving off the scene and the Apostle Paul's ministry to the Gentiles taking center stage. We've watched uh, God save Paul and, and convert Paul on the Damascus Road. We've seen the gospel begin to spread, as Jesus said it would in Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth through Paul's first and second missionary journeys. And now we are where we left off a number of weeks ago. Paul is on his third missionary uh, journey soon to be heading back to Rome where he would eventually be imprisoned. And so I'd like you to please with me as we continue in our study of Acts to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's on page 1182 of, your, of the Pew Bible if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one of those red Bibles home and make it your own. But page 1182 in the Pew Bible, Acts chapter 20, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. And as we have been doing, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, the son of Phyrus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went out ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where, they were, where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And when they took the youth away alive, and they took the youth away alive and were not little comforted. As we have just read, Paul has continued his third missionary journey after the riot in Ephesus. He wanted to check on the churches he had previously established during his first two missionary journeys. And he is now on his, uh, as we see in the, on the map here, Paul had come from Troas right here, uh, and had made it all the way through Philippi into the area called Macedonia. He had visited Thessalonica, 
came all the way down here to Greece and Corinth and spent some time there. He was going to sail and go uh, straight over back uh, towards Jerusalem, but he found out that there was going to be an assassination attempt on the ship. And so what he did is he decided, as the scriptures say, that to go all the way back through to where he was and come all the way back to Troas, and that's where we find him at this point in time. And then we see that uh, this, this, that's the journey that he took. That's a, a very arduous and difficult journey. And so Paul is now landed in Troas. And let's look at, again, chapter, one, uh, chapter 20 of Acts. And let's look at verse 3. There he spent three months, that's in Greece, and when the plot was made against him by the Jews, he was turned about to set sail for Syria, and he decided to return. He had a group of men that went with him on this trip, which included uh, Luke. And then it says on verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bed, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. And so what we see here is that we're going to look at a terrible accident that has happened. A terrible accident. And if we start thinking about this, think it breaks our hearts. Paul was intending to leave to go to Troas the next day and knew it was going to be the last time he would have a chance to meet with them. And so he continued to teach them until midnight. Put yourself in that room. They're in a hot and dry climate, and so the room would have been quite hot. There was no air conditioning at this point in time. They had the windows open, as we know from the uh, scriptures. Uh, there, the, Luke makes a comment that there would have been uh, added uh, to that heat a lot of lamps or torches in the room. Uh, there would have been a smoky haze within the room, and it was full of people. And so put yourself in that position. Then add this to this. Add this to what you're thinking about. There were no weekends off in the Roman work week, so people in that uncomfortable room would have had to come to the meeting after working all day. Does that set the stage for you? They're in a room. We don't know how big it was. It would have been hot, smoky, hazy. It would have been um, uh, stuffy. And then we see, look at verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Given that situation, it's not unusual for somebody to, what, fall asleep. Even in our air-conditioned sanctuary here, we often have people struggle to stay awake. And we know it's not because of the pastors and the preaching, right? We understand that. There's no problem there, right? But what we see here is that this young man, and the, the, the Greek word used to, to describe the young man, we understand that he's probably an early teen, probably between 12, uh, 10 and 14 sometime. So he's not, he's not an older teen. He's a young teenager who's sitting. He, as we know, most 14-year-olds, if they're going to be in an uncomfortable situation, they're going to find the best spot in the house to stay cool. And where did he find that? He's by the window. He's going to, I'm not going to sit in the middle. Hey, uh, mom, dad, can I go sit in the window so I can be cool? And so he's sitting along the window. We have to understand something about windows in those days. Those days, the windows went from the floor to the ceiling. They were actually called wind doors. And that's where we get our word window from. And so the, he was actually probably hanging his legs outside, uh, leaning up against the sill. We don't know that for sure, but I've watched a lot of 14-year-olds 
try to get comfortable. And they're kind of, you know, what are they doing? They're lazing about and laying. And so he's sitting there at that. And then he falls asleep. And it's a deep sleep. And he lost his balance and fell to the ground three stories below. Let that sink in. We have a young teen who is listening to Paul speak. He falls asleep and he falls three stories. And we understand from the text that, and and Luke, remember, was a physician. And Luke is the uh, writer of Acts. And Luke as a physician, makes a comment that he was taken up dead. He wasn't just injured. And you can imagine that. What would a fall from a three-story building usually end up doing to a person? Our English translations don't really depict the reaction of those who were in the room well. When Paul said, don't be alarmed, look at, look at that when he's uh, talking. In verse... 10, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he says, do not be alarmed for his life is within him. When we see that, we, don't, we really don't grasp what he means by don't be alarmed. We would assume that everybody was, was concerned, everybody was probably falling out of the room that they were in. Uh, they were looking at this uh, young man who was on the ground. Uh, the site was probably not very uh, good to look at. And Paul comes and says, don't be alarmed. But what we need to understand is the word used there for alarmed, back in an earlier portion of Acts, we find out that that word is used to mean a great uproar. When Paul was in the city of Ephesus and other places, that word is used as there was a a riot. So what kind of emotion is there in this riot, in in this being, don't be alarmed? It's tremendous emotion. These people are coming out of the room doing what? Wailing and crying and being alarmed at this young Man has fallen and died. And we see that in Acts chapter 17, 5. It says, But the Jews were jealous so that many accepted Paul's teaching. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set out in the city in an uproar, that's the word, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. That kind of emotion is the same emotion that we see here. The idea is of wailing and crying. But then we find Paul doing a tremendous miracle. We see Paul doing a tremendous and amazing miracle. Paul goes down as we find him, look at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. He says, don't be alarmed, his life is in him. Paul goes downstairs, takes up Eutychus in his arm and raises him from the dead. Think about the injuries that were more than likely that happened to Eutychus' body. More than likely broken bones, internal bleeding. And the people in the room saw this. And Paul goes down, leans over him, and says, he is alive. What an amazing miracle we see there. The power of God working through Paul brought this young teenager back to life from these injuries. And what do the people do? What would you do after Paul raised Eutychus? What do you think you would do? Think about it. You think there's a lot of praising? We see in the last part of that that uh, there, there was great comfort because Eutychus was alive. But here's what they did. Take a look at verse 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. They all went back up. They continued their time together. They continued to listen to Paul. 
They continued to listen to what Paul had to say. They didn't, they didn't just go home. They didn't just disperse. They realized what Paul had done, and they were interested in still hearing him speak. So put this in your imagination. The, the room they were in, the heat and the discomfort, this terrible accident this, that has happened, the wonder of God working through Paul and raising this young man back to life. With that in mind, I want to draw our attentions to what we can take home. And there's a couple things I really want to take a look at and delve into when we look at this story, because it's kind of an odd story. They're traveling. Things are going on. Paul is staying at various places. And then Luke stops and says, here's what happened in Troas. And then right after this, Paul does what? Leaves, and we see another whole long length uh, recording of the travels. So what can we take? The first thing that we can take from this is we serve an absolutely amazing God. An absolutely amazing, powerful God. His power here is absolutely stunning. It was His power working through Paul that brought Eutychus back to life. Our God truly has the power over life and death itself. Amen? We sometimes just don't live as if we serve that kind of God. We serve an absolutely, ultimately, infinitely powerful God. He controls our very reality. He controls life and death. He uses people at this point in time, uh, Paul, to, you, to work his power through. And we here who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior by faith, we here have experienced that life-resurrecting power, have we not? Think about that. Right now, does that bring tremendous joy to your life? Does that make your heart well up when, when, when I said that? Does that make your heart well up? I have been brought back to life through the power of God, through His Son, Jesus Christ. We were dead spiritually like Eutychus was dead physically. And there's no less power enacted by God to save us from sin than the power He used to raise Eutychus from the dead. We need to let that every day course through our veins, be upon our minds. We, have no, we don't have to fear anything when we walk out that door. We don't have to fear where the country is going. We don't have to fear war. We don't have to fear anything because our God is powerful enough to take care of all of it, including life and death. And we need to live like that each and every day. We need to grasp a hold of that. And we need to send or, or bring that message of life and power to the world around us when we tell everybody else about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel is accessible to anybody. There is nobody that you know in your life, nobody in your family that is too far away from the power of God to bring them back to life spiritually through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we give up on those people who are the worst and the hardest and who hate us the most. But we serve a God 
who can handle all that when he chooses? And we continually to continue to reach out to spread the gospel of life. And this is the first thing that we can understand and, and kind of think through when we see this event of this young teen tragically having an accident and dying and Paul bringing him back. Our lives are in God's hands and we can rest. There is no disease, there is no man or woman, there is no accident that will end our lives until God says so. There's another thing that I'd like us to focus on just for a minute. Reflect on how much God's people love God's Word. Reflect on this. Think of the story. Why were they in this room? Why did they put up with the discomfort? Why were they there all night? Because they love God's Word. There was no other reason for them to be there. There was no big buffet. There was no ice cream social. They chose to be there after a hard day's work in difficult circumstances for no other reason than to be in front of Paul preaching God's Word. God's people loves God's Word. We need to understand it wasn't because Paul was an outstanding speaker. It's not like they came to see a spectacle this great orator, Paul. It wasn't that type of extravaganza. In fact, we find uh, in, the, in God's Word, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, for they say, this is his, uh, the people who are saying, Paul is not, is not uh, qualified to be an apostle. Paul is not really an apostle. We are the true apostles. They were the false apostles uh, that were teaching uh, a false gospel. And they were accusing Paul of not being with God. And he says, for they, that's those the false apostles, say this, his letters are weighty and strong. Amen? Do we know that firsthand? How? We got a whole bunch of them here. And they touch our hearts and they move us. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. They were saying, Paul did not look good, and Paul was not a really good speaker from their perspective. They're saying he's not qualified to be an apostle because Paul is not one of these guys that can stand up and on his own, in his physical presence, in his ability to speak, to orate, to grab your attention. How did Paul grab everybody's attention? He spoke the Word of God. He spoke it powerfully. He spoke it with intensity. He spoke it as if it was life and death itself, which it is. Those in the room were there because they loved to hear God's words preached. They love God's word. And I want you to know something. As, my, as I went through this this, this week and, and letting God's word touch my heart and to challenge me, Loving God's Word is a characteristic of God's people. Loving God's Word is a characteristic of God's people. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith in Him, you will grow in your desire and your love for God's Word. It will become more and more important in your life. 
In fact, the psalmist, the, the, and we understand this from the word itself, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of testimonies, I delight as much as what? In all riches. He says, I delight in the testimonies of God more than any riches you could ever give me. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues and I will not forget your word. How much does that psalmist love God's word? And then we see in, uh, in, the, psalmist, in the psalms again. And this is in Psalm 19. The first one was in Psalm 119. Back, uh, just to back up just a minute, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 150 verses. And the whole psalm speaks of nothing but God's Word and the wonder of God's Word. And then we move to Psalm uh, 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than what? Do you desire God's word? Are you growing in your desire for God's word more than anything that riches on this earth could ever buy you? They are to be desired, uh, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Amen. I like honey. I sell a lot of honey. And I honestly have to tell you, from my perspective, there is nothing sweeter in this world than honey. And the psalmist knew that too. And back in that day, it really meant a whole lot. Because back in the, in, in the day when this was written, honey was the main source of sweetening throughout the known world at that time. They didn't have Mars bars. They didn't have Snickers bars along the, uh, the aisles of the, of the registers when you go through the store. If they wanted something sweet, honey was the main source. And it was usually reserved for those who were very, very well off. And here he says, they are more to be... De- he just put honey on level with gold. More are they, moreover, they, uh, moreover your, uh, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. How much does this psalmist love God's word? And it's not just in the Old Testament. In 1 Peter, we read this. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. How do we become uh, grow in respect to salvation? How do we grow in our salvation? How do we know how to present it? How do we know to, uh, uh, to address salvation to the world around us? We grow in God's Word. And this... Uh, all of us here understand this. How many of you have watched a newborn babe want to eat? How much do they long for the mother's milk? And if you don't give it to them, what's the result? Huh? They, I like that word. They squall. Do they let you forget about it? No. And how long will they keep it up? Forever. Because they are interested in one thing and one thing only in, that, in their lives at that point in time. I want my mom's milk. 
And, he, and the, the Peter says, this is how God's people desire God's word. It's a characteristic of who we are. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find over and over that God's people want to hear God's word. They desire it and they search for it. They see it as a light that leads them on the everyday that leads them on the everyday paths of life. God's people love God's word. What a challenge that is to us from those who have walked before us. Do you and I desire the Word of God like our ancestors in the faith did? Do we desire the Word of God like the psalmist? Do we desire uh, the Word of God like the apostles and the early church did? Do we desire God to go into a hot room, a hazy room, a room where there's not a whole lot of circulation, a room that is uh, poorly lit, with a whole bunch of other people, and spend all night in contact with God's Word? Do our lives show that we desire God's Word more than silver and gold? Or do we spend more time looking at our retirement accounts and what we have in the bank and our investments than we do spend time in God's Word? Or have we put more value in our careers, our relationships, our entertainment, our comfort, and the things of this word, world than we do in God's Word? I asked myself these questions as I was studying this. Would I have been in that room with the Troas believers after a hard day's work? Would I have been in that room with them? Would I have left after seeing Eutychus raised from the dead because it was getting late and I needed to get ready for work tomorrow? Or would I have gone back up and spent till dawn listening to, reacting to, being around God's Word, knowing that when dawn came, I had to do what? Go to work all day. I had to ask myself those questions. I pray that all of us here this morning would take a few minutes this week to reflect on how much we really love God's Word. If you come to find that you are more interested in the more interested in the things of this world than you are in God's world, word, the place to start, the place to start is in confession. To get down before God and say, Lord God, the things of this world have become more important to me than your word. I don't desire it like the sweet of honey. I don't desire it like the riches and gold that I have. I don't desire it like my vacations and my uh, food that I have every day. Lord God, I'm sorry. Please help me to grow. Please help me to learn and to walk in a way that helps me love your word more and more. Confession is the place to start if you find that the world has distracted you from the love of God's word. But there's another step. I'm not going to list that you need to start a Bible reading program. I'm not going to, to start saying that you need to be in a Bible study. All those things are good, but that doesn't stop the problem. Once we confess, we have to start removing the things in our lives that get in the way. And when we remove them, we have to make God's Word 
reading it and listening to it a priority in your life? And let me give you just a couple of suggestions. Cut out screen time and use that time to be in God's Word. Cut out screen time. Get out from behind the TV. Get off your phones. Get off the computer. Lay that aside. And when you lay it aside, get into God's Word. Reduce the screen time. All of us here have trouble with screen time. Every single one of us. In fact, I would venture to say that many of us in church today spend more time on Facebook and Twitter and other social media apps than we do in God's Word every week. We need to listen to God's Word being read and preached every time you're in the car. We need to listen to God's Word being read and preached. Some of us have to, there are times when I have to drive 40 minutes to go to the hospital or I have to, uh, I'm driving around constantly. How many of you here are in your cars at least two hours a week? just driving around. Raise your hand. That's two hours a week you have to be listening to God's Word. Part of that time can be listening to music that is based on God's Word and the truths of God's Word. We don't need to listen to Rush Limbaugh and all the other ones that are out there. He's the old dude now. Okay, he's gone. But there's other people out there uh, who have replaced him. I just don't know who they are. Put those aside. Listen to God's Word when you're driving in the car. And then, of course, the obvious one. We need to be in church like the Troas believers were. Every time the doors are open. We need to be in church like the Troas believers were every time the doors are open. No matter how tired you are, no matter uh, what the weather is like, no matter what time you get home, choose to be under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If you truly love God's Word, then you're going to want to be under God's Word consistently, day in, day out, and every time the church doors are open. We need to fight for that. We need to lay aside. When, when you don't show up, you need to ask yourself, why? Why am I choosing? I'm, I'm tired. I got home late. <clears throat> then you need to go back and read this about Eutychus because they worked all day. They were tired and they desired to be under God's teaching all night long, even if they struggled with sleeping. And we have to understand something here, uh, and this is not just for Sardis, but this is for every church around here. Uh, on, on a monthly basis, uh, Adam and I meet with other pastors, and we interact with other pastors. And one of the things that is often said, and, and uh, I've, as I've talked to other pastors, is they wonder why more people don't show up on Wednesday nights. It's a time to be in God's Word. It's a time to be under the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word. And when you see that so many people just lay that aside, that's not the heart attitude of the Troas Christ followers. They went to great lengths to make sure they were under God's teaching. You need to ask yourself, what on Wednesday is more important than being in God's Word? Sharing 
the time with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, talking through and working through and enjoying the time together in God's Word. We understand this desire because we do it all the time. I love, I absolutely love homemade ice cream. I also know that I don't need to eat six quarts all by myself. But you want to know something? When I invite people over to share homemade ice cream from me, for, with me, do you know what I do? I kind of always look inside the bucket to see how much is left. Because see, after it's done, my wife really doesn't eat a whole lot. It's not her favorite, but it's mine. And I find myself thinking about that homemade ice cream multiple times every day. And most of the time, that desire drives me to get a couple of scoops even when I don't need it. That's how God's people desire God's Word. It's on their mind. And they will go to great lengths to be in it and before it and under it all the time because they love God's Word. And that's what we see in Troas. So if you find yourself not where you should be in loving God's Word, confess and start removing those things that get in the way. It is our turn right now. It is our time as Christ followers in this time of history to pass the legacy of loving God's Word on. It is our time, it is our responsibility to pass the love of God's Word onto our children, onto our neighbors, to each other. And we can only fulfill our mission as a church to bring the Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We can only fulfill that mission well if we intimately know God's Word and can explain how it works in our lives. Let me ask you, how is your love for God's Word demonstrated in your life? And here's a homework exercise. Take a sheet of paper and write down all those things that you love to do. And list them on one side. And look at how many hours a week you do those things. Then on the other side, list how much time you spend in God's Word. Legitimately. And then ask yourself, does my life demonstrate that I love God's Word? Or does life get in the way? In that time that you spend in God's Word, include your Sunday morning, include your Sunday school, include your Wednesday night, okay? Include the time that you're listening to God's Word when you're driving. How much time do I spend legitimately in God's Word every week as compared to the other things that I love to do? And so, what is the main point? How do we sum up all of this? The main point. We serve an amazing God whose power is unfathomable. And we love His Word because it is through His Word that we came to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
and we love His Word. You would not know about Jesus Christ. You would not know about your sin. You would not know about your need for salvation if it hadn't been for God's Word. And when we understand what has been done for us in the resurrection of our spiritual lives, when we come to that point, then we begin to find this right here, more and more sweet, sweeter than honey, more important than gold or riches. We begin to understand that this here is the most valuable thing you can have in your life, the Word of God. The Troas Christians passed a legacy on to us. They helped us understand the love of God. And so, let's take up the mantle and let's pass that legacy on and help people understand the power of God described in the Scriptures, the power of God to resurrect us from our spiritual death, and the power of God to help us grow and mature into loving His Word. Amen? Let's bow your heads just for a minute. Maybe it's just been in this time of sharing God's Word with each other that you've come to realize that really in your life, your life does not demonstrate that you love God's Word. Now's the time to confess. Now is time to commit to the Lord and, and come to the Lord and say, Lord God, I am so sorry that this world means more to me than your word. If you've reflected a little bit and you have seen in your life that you are growing in your love for God's word and it's becoming more and more a part of your life, now's the time just to praise God for that. It's because of his power, it's because of his glory. It's because of His care and love that we're able to do that. Thank God that you are growing in love for His Word. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I don't understand what it means to be saved. I don't understand all this talk that's been going on this morning, I would encourage you to come and talk to me after the service. I'll be down here in the front. Let me arrange some time. Let me sit with you to be able to explain why we love God's Word. Help me, let me explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the legacy that the Troas Christians passed down. The desire for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that in all the things that we have, all the, the activities that we have access to, that, Lord God, we wouldn't let that let those things get in the way of our gro growing in our love 
for your word. Lord God, help us to do the hard things and remove those things from our life that are getting in the way, to temper those things, to change our perspective on those things. And Father, help us, we ask and we pray to fall in love, a deep, abiding love with your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.